0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and um, we want to continue our series in Philippians, I want to pray for the message before we begin, but we're going to be in Philippians 1, verses 15 through 20. But let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the worship songs we sung this morning, just how meaningful they are, that your love never, ever fails. And I know that in a group this size, there are some who are struggling with that reality. And I pray that you would work so deeply in our hearts, draw us close to you, lift us up, Lord, that we might see the mercy that is so available for each one of us. I thank you for what you're going to do, and we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there is a very serious problem in the church today, a very serious problem that plagues modern Christianity, and it is the inability to totally and completely trust God. You know, I like to use the illustration. I've used it many times, and I I think every teacher has used it, teaching, preaching, whatever, and I've heard some of you teachers use it. I know I heard Joe use it a couple of weeks ago, but it's that wonderful example of the little child standing on the edge of the pool with his floaties on, and dad is saying, Come on, jump. And the child knows full well that dad won't miss him. The child knows full well that dad will catch him. But the idea of jumping is tough. He's got his floaties on. He knows they work when he tiptoes down the ladder. And we're just like that child. We know that when God calls us to be all in and trust him, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt we can trust him. But, what if he holds me under to teach me a lesson? What if he doesn't catch me because I haven't been real good? And before you know it, we begin to cultivate within us reasons why it's really safer just to stay on the edge and stick my toe in and touch the floaties that I know work in my way. And this is exactly what happens our mind is on everything else but the one who said jump and i will carry you in philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 19 paul writes for i know that though your prayers i, will, I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not at all be ashamed, but that will full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now these verses follow up verses 15 to 18, where Paul outlines the division that existed in the church. He said, Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good will. We often hear people talking about the good old days. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, who wrote the classic War and Peace, once complained about people who were always talking about the good old days. He said, and I quote, they were foolish because, in terms of all the important things of life human aspirations, human feelings, human failures, human nature the good old days were no different than our own. End of quote. Now, Tolstoy was a humanist, of course. And he was thinking of human values. But that thought process is just as real in the church today. This is something that confuses us and causes us so much difficulty. If we we say, if we could only be like the old days. If we could only be like the first church. But this is really false idolization. It's an attempt to escape the problem of our day by looking back at something that's existed Only in the Christian imagination. There is hardly a problem that we have in the church today that they didn't have in the first church. Paul acknowledged the church in Corinth as as being a solid church full of Christian people. In fact, in the first uh, section of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that the Christians at Corinth are sanctified by Christ, verse 2. They are recipients of grace, verse 4. They are enriched in every way, verse 5. The testimony of Christ is confirmed in them, verse 6. They do not lack any spiritual gifts, verse 7. Yet, this church was filled with problems. There were divisions. Some people said they were of Paul. Others said they were of Peter. Still others said they were of Apollos. And the real pious ones said they were of Christ. Every situation in that church was a struggle. And Paul wound up penning in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, "...but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready." For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? There were also problems in the Roman church. Sure, there were many of the Praetorian guard who were saved, and other Christians were encouraged to live by faith because of Paul's bonds. But Paul says right in our text in verses 15 and 17, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now just think of that. Some preaching to inflict Paul's bonds? (laughs) So much for the way things used to be in the Christian church. Now, we need to understand, first of all, about disappointments in life, because there is a great deal of disappointments in life, and we experience it in all phases of life. People know disappointment as children when they don't get what they want. Young people know disappointment when they are left out by their friends. Business people struggling to get to the top understand disappointment when they realize there's no room. Some are disappointed in love. Some are disappointed the way friends treat them. Looking at all these things, the poet Dryden wrote, When I consider life, tis all a cheat. Yet fooled with hope, men favor deceit. Trust on and think tomorrow will repay. Tomorrow's falser than the former day. These words unfortunately describe the human life in much of the disappointment that we feel. But... There is no disappointment in God. There is no disappointment when you leap off the side and trust him completely. Paul is now expressing the true understanding of God's purpose and control. Paul had carried the gospel through much of the Roman Empire, and now he was a prisoner in Rome itself. He wanted to continue to preach the gospel, but now there was a good chance that he would be executed. But despite all of this, he writes, verse 19 and 20, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, to understand the scope of what Paul is saying here will radically change your heart. And it will direct you to a whole new level of Christianity that you may not have thought existed for you. And in order to understand this, we have to first understand the word that he uses, ashamed. The word ashamed did not always have the meaning that the biblical writers intended. In fact, primary meaning is not even in most of our dictionaries today. According to Webster's new collegiate dictionary, it defines shame as a painful emotion excited by a consciousness of guilt, disgrace, or dishonor. But this is not the biblical understanding that the writers intended. The biblical understanding has to do with disappointment. According to Scripture, the person who is not ashamed is the person whose trust is not misplaced and who therefore is never disillusioned. This is seen in several places in the Bible. For example, Paul wrote about Christian hope in Romans 5.5. 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now the King James Version is very similar. But the Phillips translation really nails the way it's originally intended. It says, A steady hope that will never disappoint us. Now, you have to grasp this very carefully. You will never be disappointed in Christ. Let me just say that again. You will never be disappointed in Christ. Another verse that requires the same thing is in Isaiah forty nine twenty three. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. This is quoted a couple of times in the book of Romans as well. But here God is saying that you will know that I am the Lord and those who hope in me will not be disappointed. So have you ever been disappointed in anything God has done for you? There are three verses that I want us to focus in on this morning that will help to convey this idea and give you, I think, a clear understanding of what this is. All of them contain the word shame and all teach that there is no shame for Christians. However, when you understand the original intent, you begin to understand how the power of these verses come to mind. The first one deals with the power of God. It's Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now what Paul is saying here is he has never been disappointed in the gospel, for whenever and wherever it is preached, the power of God accompanies it, and it produces supernatural results. What is the gospel? It is the message of God's grace revealed in Jesus Christ, and it is centered on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's interesting that Paul speaks of the power of the gospel when writing to the church in Rome. Paul was at home with three conflicting cultures that he had to deal with. There was the Jewish culture, the Greek culture, and the Roman culture. And each one of them had their own unique reasons for denying the gospel. In fact, if you recall, the Jews came, to, came with centuries of religious training and tradition. They lived within a fixed spiritual system, and Christ didn't fit into that system. Therefore, the, to the Jews, Christ was a stumbling block. The Greeks, they didn't pride themselves on religion, but they were proud of wisdom. The Greeks traced their intellectual ancestry to Homer, to Plato, to Aristotle, and many others. All the competing systems of knowledge that preceded Paul. So Paul had to show that the cross of Christ was actually the wisdom of God. A wisdom that exposes the foolishness of human understanding. So when you try to put human reasons and intellect ahead of God's word, you are acting like the Greeks of Paul's day. And like the child at the edge of the pool, trusting your floaties rather than your father. It's literally what it is. Now the Romans, on the other hand, they took pride in their power. Uh, their power had conquered most of the known world at that time, and it was the strong arm of the Romans that they prided themselves on. The other verse, or another verse, has to do with a sure deposit. It's found in Second Timothy 1 verse 12. It says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now the metaphor here is that of banking and the transactions or the, of the deposit. In other words, God has the power to keep that which has been deposited in him. God guarantees our deposit. That's not true of the world. Men and women insist on placing their deposits in places that cannot be guarded. With cultic religions, with schemes of world government, with dreams of human betterment. But all these devices fail the investor. Only God does not disappoint. Only God guarantees the deposit by faith. Have you deposited your faith in Christ? You will not be disappointed. Now consider some of these deposits for salvation, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you deposit your faith in Jesus Christ, your deposit is guaranteed for eternity. Consider the deposit for God's purpose in your life. Ephesians 2.10, I think we've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And just a quick summary of what we had said in the past, there is a life that God has planned out for each one of us. It is a life that goes into action the moment you trust him as your Savior. That life is there. That life is only achieved when you take the leap. That life is only achieved when you trust Christ and then leap off the side of the pool, if you will, and trust him in everyday situations. That life is guaranteed. And because God is the author of that life, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and lead you. So that's a guarantee. That... Also your deposit will see you through temptation 1 Corinthians 10:13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it you will not be disappointed in your deposit, he will always guarantee a way of escape when you leap totally into his arms. Just think about it. The dividends that he pays on investments. A sure future, partakers now of love, joy, of peace that passes all understanding. Those are dividends that the world can't pay. And they are promised to the child of God who's all in who is willing to cast everything on the hands of Christ. Also, I want you to notice that Christ is magnified. The third verse that tells how God, is, God will not disappoint us is our text here in Philippians. Paul is on trial for his life, but only in a human level is he uncertain of the outcome. On the spiritual level, Paul knows that whatever happens will work out to his salvation. Philippians 1.20, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul was ready for whatever Christ required. He wasn't hanging on to portions of his life. You recall when Paul was saved, I mean, he was, he was a tremendous man. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, had the best education there was. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. He was the top dog. He was wealthy. He had everything life could promise him. And then in Philippians, he accounts that all of that he counted as dung for the excellency of Christ Jesus. You see, when you're all in with Christ, you're not bothered by life. You're not bothered by the things of life that can tear you down, or the things that you lose, or the reversals, or the one who turns their back on you, or any one of a hundred things that can happen to you, because Christ is the author of your life. Jesus Christ is the one that's leading you, and in him is your perfect success. In him is your glory. And that's what Paul is establishing here. So when you think of the scope of Paul's statement here, think of the scope of that statement, and Apply it to your own life. In the first place, Paul knew that Christ would be magnified. Paul lived in an environment in which the pagan gods were worshipped and all power seemed to be in the hands of pagan Rome. But he knew that Christ would ultimately be exalted and would rule in power until he had crushed all the enemies beneath his feet. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Christ is in control. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you may be in turmoil this morning about the affairs of this country. You may be in turmoil about the elections. You may be in turmoil about terrorism. You may be in turmoil about the social direction of this church. But there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. He is in control. But the sad thing in the church today is we forget that. We get all uptight about everything. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person gets in? What if the. Who cares? We win. We win. But I don't want to be flippant about it either, because what we miss is that when we, the church, are focused all in and trusting Christ individually in our lives, collectively as a church, there is only one result. That's an effective witness in our community, and it's the only thing that will ever change a country, the only thing, when God is honored and glorified. And this is why Paul's example is so critical for you and I today, to be all in 100% in your personal world, your private world. This was the basis of Paul's confidence. And this is why he was not disappointed when things didn't go well. When here's a man who gets thrown into prison, and if you think back of not only Paul, but Peter and these other guys they're dragged in before the Sanhedrin and they're told, you either stop preaching or we're going to kill you. And what was the result? We can do no other. We must testify. And they left and they went out and they preached Christ. And they got arrested and they got thrown in prison. And what did they do? Say hymns. Praise God. Many of them are beaten within inches of their lives. And they were thankful that they had the opportunity to suffer as Christ suffered. Nothing in this world fazed them. Nothing disappointed them because they were all in. They had taken the leap off the side of the pool. And they knew Christ was catching them. And that is a powerful message that you and I need to understand today. God will exalt his son. Paul knew that God's determination to exalt His Son also extended to those who are united to Him by faith. Paul did not merely say that Christ would be magnified in him. But if you're a Christian this morning, do you know that God will exalt His Son in you? You are called to represent Him. His great desire is to lavish love on you To exalt him. We sing hymns about how God's love will never end. We sing hymns about how God will always meet our needs. We sing hymns about how wonderful God is. And God wants to glorify himself through you. But it will never happen unless you're all in. You can't be a nominal Christian with your toes in the water just kind of waiting for the perfect time to get in. He says, jump. And let me show you amazing truths. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. When you jump, he will bring your life to full completion. When you jump, he will exercise the life through you that he intended before the foundation of the world. When you leap in total faith, you will be in the arms of the heavenly Savior who says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's who's calling you to jump. And this is one more way Christians won't be disappointed. You're going to face, quote, disappointments all through your life. But when you're in Christ solely, all in, those disappointments turn to the mighty hand of God doing wonderful things in your life, and you cannot be disappointed. And the fact that Paul could write from a prison cell chained to a guard when he'd like to be out running around the countryside preaching Christ, he could write a book and tell us that we'll never be disappointed in Christ. Christ will be magnified no matter what. Paul recognized that Christ would be magnified in him whether he lived or died. And sometimes God is magnified in Christians who die. Sometimes their death is a greater testimony than their life. But whatever the reason, God is glorified. Paul recognized that Christ would be magnified and this means that Paul was so confident that God's will was perfect for him that he was able to accept it willingly, even if it meant death at the hands of a Roman executioner. Now, I know that there's disappointments that come into our lives, but think about something. If you are totally in, if you are trusting Christ with every area of your life, God has allowed those things for a reason. He will bring you through, and he will bring you through molded and shaped to the person, the man or the woman he wants you to be. And God will use you in ways you never dreamed possible. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, do you truly believe you can leap from the side and trust him? When life is smooth, it's easy to say, all things work together for good. It's easy to say when you have everything you want and your family as well. But can you say it at the edge of a grave? Or when you suffer loss of any kind? Can you say it is well with my soul when things come into your life and you have no clue what to do? Do you really trust him? Does he really trust have all of you? Does he really have the thoughts and the intents of your mind and your heart? When you trust him, it is impossible, listen, it is impossible to be disappointed. And when the Bible says all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's not promising you a life of ease, comfort, and pleasure. It is promising you that when you're all in, everything you go for will work for your good, and it will work for His testimony. And people around you will praise God for your walk. We often think, man, what would it be like if Paul or Peter or John walked in this room today? Wow, would that be incredible. But listen, I know that there are Pauls and Peters right in this room and all he's waiting for is you to jump all in. Are you willing? Are you willing to take the leap, casting all your care upon him and let him do what he wants to do? Father, I pray this morning that you would do a mighty work in the hearts of each one of us. We have such incredible examples of men and women in the scriptures that show us what it means and what you will do in them. We'll not be disappointed, Lord. But like so many before us, we think, we trust in the floaties, the things that we have put on to protect us, never understanding what it means to be all in I pray this morning that you do a powerful work in the hearts and lives of each one of us that no matter what happens from day to day we're all in we'll not be moved we will rejoice in every situation knowing that your hand is in everything and whatever you bring to us we'll take it as your permissive will and bring glory to you I pray that you would do that work in our hearts. The life is there. You promised it. You promised the life of the works that you want us to do. You promised it before the foundation of the world. Give us the courage, the love, and the devotion to take the leap and trust you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. to grab your kids and uh, bring them back and we'll be done as quickly as possible.